Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. And we were looking forward to February being a very easy month for us. Not too much cricket happening around the world. We thought, oh, we'll put our feet up, kick back and relax. And instead, this is probably the busiest week since we started making the podcast. Lots to get through. All change at the ECB and all through the management and coaching structure of the England cricket team. All change within the squad itself as well. Plenty of players coming and going in the latest squad, which has just been announced. And also, we need to look forward to the Australia squad that's been announced for their tour of Pakistan. We need to discuss Justin Langer departing from Australia. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about the Women's Ashes results as well. Maybe, maybe. And a friend of the podcast, a brilliant Adam Collins, is going to jump on this call a bit later on and talk all things Australia with us. But first, it is myself, Daniel Norcross and Stephen Finn. But before we get into any of that, Finney is going to issue a groveling, groveling apology to our one and only listener, Jack. The reason is that you may remember a few weeks ago on the podcast that Jack got in touch with us to say that he was having some trouble with his toaster and that whenever he was putting some bread in the toaster, it was either coming up thoroughly undercooked or massively burnt. And Finney quite frankly, was aggressive with his criticism of our one and only listener, Jack. He really let him have it. And then this week on Instagram, Finney posted a photo of charred, burnt, destroyed toast that he had managed to completely balls up. And uh, I'm just offering you this chance, Finney. I know you weren't expecting this, but I'm just offering you this chance with this platform that we have to just issue a groveling apology to our good listener, Jack. Um, no, I wouldn't have thought so because he um, he was doing his in a toaster, which literally does the fucking job for you. Um, and I was doing mine under the grill because um, having had to adjust to life down here in Brighton, I've not quite been able on my um, on my wages to afford a toaster this time round. So I've had to use the grill 
in the um in the kitchen so yeah i just put it in the grill under the grill in the oven and completely forgot about it until i smelt it around 10 minutes later that's that's something so it's something that finney shares in common with boris johnson is his absolute refusal to apologize one of the mm. many things you'd have to say yeah that's true. gets you very far some would say <laughs> finney for pm i think that campaign starts right now if we could get that trending on twitter hashtag finney for pm I mean, you say you don't have the money for a toaster, but you've you you had twenty five thousand pounds very publicly for your performance in the hundred last season. Spent that on the earring, didn't he? It was thirty two actually. Thirty two thousand pounds for the hundred last year. Uh, you've just had a very lucrative stint with the BBC, commentating on the Ashes, and you're the new darling well, on the ta- of the, on, at the taxpayers' expense under a, a scandal where the um, the licence fee's been frozen for three years. You think they were anything but frugal with their money towards me? I think you'd be somewhat remiss. There's only no, one he's, of us he's here right, he's right that there. works he's right. in commercial radio. Yeah, he's right there, Tobes, honestly. Commercial TV is much, much better place to be than... Um, mm. And indeed, commercial radio. So, yeah, yeah, since, since Norcross that. did that stint for BT Sport, you've actually bought two toasters, haven't you, Norcross? Yeah, I've got uh, I've got one for the bedroom and one for the kitchen. I'm thinking of getting one for the sitting room as well because I've got COVID what at the moment. What do you use the so... bedroom one for? <laughs> Fucking weird, eh? Well, for having breakfast in bed, it's quite understandable. It goes with the bedroom fridge because I have COVID. I'm, I'm not I'm not legally allowed to move for uh, for seven days. I mean, I can move around my house, but I find that it's it's quite hard work. So um, yeah, I'm I'm, in, I'm installing toasters. I thought you in the might put room. those. Um... I think you might put those saggy testicles of yours in it if it's in the um, in the bedroom. Yeah. Some people are into that sort of stuff. Uh, plus, you've got all those toasters that your wife has thrown at you when you're in the bath as well, Dan. You've got loads. Yeah, we don't have a bath. No? No. You, it's amazing. You, really? Luxury three-bedroom Georgian flat and there's no bloody bath. I, don't know, really? I, haven't lived, I haven't lived with a bath since 2000. It's, wow. it's absolutely tragic. The last bath I had was so fantastic. I once polished off two bottles of wine, an entire biography of Muhammad Ali in one bath sitting. <laughs> it had like, you know, it had like ledges and everything. You could chain smoke in it, drink and read really good biographies. I'm but, amazed you don't have a bath. You seem so the bathing type. I'd imagine that you, you sit in a massive metal tub and in like Victorian times, yeah. your wife just pours jugs of water over you. Well, you'd think you would think that, wouldn't you? But they say that, you know, even... Even the greats have to have something that keeps them real, keeps them my feet to the fire. Do you know what I mean? Because I, in every other respect, my life is perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, and something extraordinary happened to me. Talking about domestic appliances, which we are doing, um, because I haven't really felt like drinking much this week, I actually put a dishwasher on for the very first time, I think, in my entire life without a single wine glass in it. Wow. Absolutely staggering. So I'd weird. See. You can you can fit in so much more actually. I was going to say wine glasses. wine glasses are a nightmare as well. They take up so much space. And also, do you, my one, our wine glasses. When we put them in, uh, a little bit of water pools in the wine glass, and it really annoys. And it leaves a bit of a mark. It really pisses me off. That's right. Well, actually, don't, shouldn't we ask Finney, the love god, because he's normally got the perfect oh, yeah. solution to these issues. Finney, my wine glasses, whenever I put them in the uh, dishwasher, they sort of, a bit of water pools within the wine glass while it's being washed, and it leaves a little mark on the wine glass. I mean, if you're actually a wine connoisseur and you really do like wine, you wouldn't be putting nice wine into a cheap glass that you could put in a dishwasher anyway. So you should be hand-washing your wine glasses if they're the thin 
um, the very thin glass that you're meant to have when you're drinking nice wine. The, these cheapo wine glasses that you two seem to be using, I think you shouldn't be putting them in the dishwasher. He's like Jacob Rees-Mogg now. He's, he's gone through Johnson into Jacob Rees-Mogg. He's very lardy darn posh today. Yeah, I can do them all. I can, um, I can be Nadine Dorries now and be absolutely fucked if you want. <laughs> Speaking of wine connoisseurs, more, more <laughs> afternoon Nadine, if you're listening. <laughs> Careful, she might. She is culture, media, and sport. After Actually, all, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> oh, fucking hell, I forgot about that. I think technically she has some sort of remit over this podcast. How the fuck did that happen? Anyway, afternoon Nadine. Hope you're well. Uh, right, let's get into the cricket. Come on then. We delayed recording this podcast by a day because we thought, oh, let's just see if the England squad announcement is worth waiting for. It might be interesting and we might be able to reflect on it. And thank God we did because a pretty shocking and in places quite bizarre England cricket squad has been announced for the test tour of the West Indies. Now, before we go into this, I would say every single squad that has ever been announced in the history of cricket, everybody's going to have a different opinion on it. However, there are some headlines that are immediately striking. Anderson and Broad left out of the tour. Nearly 1,200 test wickets gone. Dawid Milan, Rory Burns, Hasib Hamid, Josh Butler, Dominic Best, Sam Billings also gone. In come Parkinson, folks. Matthew Fisher was a surprise name. Shakib Mahmood and also Alex Lees as well into the squad. Lots to unpick there, but we have to start off talking about Anderson and Broad. Nearly 1,200 wickets. Andrew Strauss says it is not the end of their England test career. First of all, Stephen Finn, do you believe Andrew Strauss? Yeah, I do. I Well, I think the, the statement was pretty cleverly worded, wasn't it? Saying that the, um, the incoming coach and selector would make the final call on whether they'd continue their careers. But this is an opportunity to... I suppose, give people experience in foreign conditions into the future. So guys, younger guys learning to bowl on these wickets, it's not a shocking idea, but yeah, it's certainly a shock not to see either of them there, I think. It is uh, it is a shock because, you know, there were some people, maybe optimistically, who would, like me, devastated to see Anderson and Broad go, saying, oh, maybe they're being rested, you know, they'll be back in time for the English summer. They don't really need to be rested because they don't play any white ball cricket internationally. So, Daniel Norcross, do you think we will see Stuart Broad or Jimmy Anderson in an England test kit again? Yeah, I think we probably will because I think this side's going to really struggle to bowl out the West Indies. And I think the new coach, when he comes in, is not going to want to have a summer of complete horror taking no wickets. But it's perilous. I mean, the other part that was quite cleverly worded in the um, press release was about learning to win matches away. And the implication there being, because I think Jimmy Anderson had talked about, you know, wanting to stay on and he'd almost time limited it, hadn't he, earlier? When he was asked during the Ashes, he said he wanted to stay on until the next Ashes at home. That leaves only one more winter away. So they might spin this as, you know, trying to give people experience in away conditions. And we might not be expecting to see Anderson abroad away, but... That's a bit perilous, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't know what Philly would think about playing just, maybe you'd like it, but just playing county championship cricket in April and May a bit and then home test matches and then play absolutely no cricket from September to April doesn't seem particularly viable to me, although it might be attractive. Um, I'm, 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 I'm a bit worried, though, because it is the last we've seen of them. I think it would be horrible. I think the English cricket community, and it sounds a bit, 
soft cock, doesn't it? To say, well, we want to say goodbye to them. But it's been an extraordinary career both of them have had, and much of it together. And you think about Ambrose and Walsh. I mean, they actually, I suppose, gave up together at the Oval. They didn't give up together in the West Indies, did they? So uh, it's just that Anderson and Broad didn't know that they were (laughs) going to play no more matches, if indeed they don't play any. And uh, maybe it's a sentimentalist in me wants to see them play again in England. But more than that, it's the fact that Anderson averaged 23 and was the best bowler by average in the Ashes. And Broad took 13 wickets in playing only three matches and didn't play at Brisbane. And neither did Anderson, where they might have been expected to clean up under those circumstances. So um, it seems like a curious decision. I think once you get over them, which is hard to do. I mean, I'm in a state of mourning, and I've seen a lot of it on Twitter. There's there's a combination of mourning and anger. There are various stages of grief that people are going through at the moment. Um, but Fisher is an interesting pick. The problem with Fisher is he's never really strung more than, I think it's three or four first-class matches together because he continues to get injured. And are we expecting Wokes to play? You look at that squad, I think we discussed it on the WhatsApp group, that Lees will have to play all three games. There are only two openers in that team. I'm delighted that Folks has been picked. It looks like he will get all three games as a keeper. So the side is starting to come together. But there's no number three, obviously. They've taken out Milan. I mean, actually, of all the selection decisions, you can make cases for Anderson and Broad if they come back in summer. But it's very weird how you make the case for Milan to be left out. You know, he was the guy who scored some runs in the first two test matches in Australia. And after that, nobody got any runs anyway. And for him to be left out when he just found his feet as a number three, a problem position England have struggled to fill for quite some time, that is a really eye-catching selection, don't you think? Yeah, it's it's a bizarre squad, whatever way you look at it. You touched on Wokes there, you know, you're saying, well, if we're planning for the future, Wokes has been pretty crap away from England his entire test career, let's be honest. So it seems strange to go and take him to the West Indies if we're dropping Broad and Anderson. Uh, you're right about Milan. We talked just the other week on this podcast about how England may be prepared for the future too much. And sometimes, a la Mike Hussey, Chris Rogers, you name it, sometimes maybe it's worth just putting in a bloke who knows his game and might score some runs. But I agree with what you said about, you know, sentiment to, Sentiment comes into it. Do I want to see Anderson and Broad play in England and say goodbye to them? Yes, I do. But also, I think they are England's two best bowlers. And so either the ECB are sort of dismissing this tour to the West Indies as a sort of, oh, well, it's a sort of, you know, we'll start again in the summer properly when we've got a new coach, which seems bizarre. Um, I don't quite know what to make of it. Finney, I also want to ask you about uh, Matthew Fisher because I saw Mark Ramprakash on Sky Sports News as soon as this squad got announced. And he was saying that if you were Matthew Fisher and Ollie Robinson, who still actually is very, very new to the squad, and Shakib Mahmood, would you not want Anderson and Broad in that squad? Would you not want to be in the nets with those two guys, picking the brains of two of the greatest fast bowlers of all time? If you made your England debut and got called up and found all the big names from the bowling department would be dropped, would you not be a little bit gutted? Um, well, you can look at it one of two ways, can't you? I think with them not being there gives him a far greater chance of playing, which when you're young and you're um, and you're a bit green and, and you are only interested in playing cricket, then that, that's probably a good thing for him that they're not there. But yeah, certainly from a, um, a performance perspective and the learning perspective, you'd say that, that it would be to the detriment of the, um, of the team potentially not to have those guys there to pick their brains and you know use their experience in those conditions so 
yeah, it's a double-edged sword, really. But as a young player, you might not be looking at it, you know, too in too much of an unfriendly manner because um, because there's more chance of you playing and he'll want to become the 701st player to play for England. Yeah, I, I guess we'll, um, nearer the time as well in the Test Series, just around the corner, we'll start trying to work out how the hell you make an 11 out of this side. But um, it is worth mentioning, for all the excitement around the squad, there is still a potentially very safe and very uninteresting first 11 in there of players we've all seen before. And I really hope, because the two names that I was delighted to see in there were Parkinson and Folks. And Folks will almost certainly play, as Dan mentioned, he's pretty much the only keeper in the squad. But I really hope, and this is nothing against Jack Leach, who's been treated pretty badly in the England setup, but I really hope Matthew Parkinson gets to go in the West Indies because he's so much more exciting than a lot of spinners we've had in recent years. Norcross, you were waving at me excitedly on your, on your screen. Well, yeah, because part of what you said there was, you know, we're going to have a look at the team that they might put out near at a time. But I just want to put out some thoughts very briefly on how England's bowling attack, that they their first choice bowling attack, looks to me like it would contain Robinson and Wood and Stokes, three out of your five seamers, all of whom have got historic injury problems. Robinson has struggled to play that many games, uh, you know, without going off the park. Uh, Wood. We were worried about managing his workload and Stokes is coming back from a side strain. So I don't, I, I can't quite piece this team together at the moment. It's, it's a, it's a really curious one. And to leave out Anderson and Broad in the, under those circumstances, the two of them who actually do look like they'd probably be fit and capable of firing in, in at least two out of the three games each. That makes it seem even weirder. And I'm still completely perplexed by who bats at number three. I mean, I don't think anybody here can tell me who in that squad is the obvious number three, unless it's Bairstow. But, you know, Bairstow did three for a little while. He did three in the West Indies last time, didn't he? Off the back of the tour to Sri Lanka, but was then instantly removed from three. So it's it's very hard. Maybe to Root's going to do it. Well, that'd be, that'd be huge news, if true. Huge news. Mm. Uh, I mean, it would be a risk with how well he's batted at four of the last year, but it's certainly an option. The other thing I'm thinking is if they literally say Ben Stokes isn't going to bowl on this tour at all with his side strain and he goes in there. I, I honestly don't know. I, I like Bairstow. Obviously, he scored that 100 in Australia that probably saved his test career. Otherwise, I think he might have been on the chopping block as well. But he does average something like five against straight bowling. Um, and that's a bit of a worry, uh, especially against the new ball. So there's lots to unpick on that side. And as I say, we'll do it nearer the time. Uh, but very quickly, I want to talk about the other changes because Chris Silverwood, as we thought he might be, has gone. Graham Thorpe has gone. Ashley Giles, director of cricket, has gone. Andrew Strauss has returned as director of cricket. And I have to say, it is lovely, even if it's temporary, to see Andrew Strauss, who has had a horrible few years outside of cricket, uh, to back in, a back in a position of power within the English game. I think the English game is better for it. Paul Collingwood, though, survived. He's off to the West Indies as the interim coach. Now, I said on the WhatsApp group, the Zero Dots Given WhatsApp group, when that news was announced, is he auditioning for the full-time job? And uh, Norcross immediately said no, because he's been inside that dressing room, that dressing room that's been pretty useless at Test Cricket over the last couple of years. And so you think he's too close to it, Norcross. Now, I, I take your point, but on the flip side of that, I absolutely bloody love Paul Collingwood. And also I see a cricketer there who wasn't naturally the most gifted perhaps and squeezed every ounce of potential out of his ability, which is what some of that top order could do with. 
Yeah, I don't deny there's a chance that he might one day be England coach. But I think after the trauma that they've experienced, I think what they're going to do is look for a supremo that's completely different. English cricket has got this habit of vacillating from one style of leadership to another. And Finney will be very well aware of this because he worked under two completely different coaches in Andy Flower and then Peter Moores. And it was almost as if, you know, a certain style of coaching can only persist for an amount of time before there has to be a sort of reset. And I get the feeling that England are looking for an outside reset. But Paul Collingwood's fantastic sort of continuity to remain. You'd imagine him remaining with the coaching staff, wouldn't you? Finney, I want to ask you about that, actually, because you did see a lot of changes of coach in the England setup, Middlesex setup as well, of course. When a new coach came in, what was that like? Were there times where you were like, oh, gutted because that last coach bloody loved me and he put me in every single squad and he was always raving about me in the nets and putting his arm around me and you've got to impress somebody else? Or were there times where you saw a coach go and you were like, suits me, that bloke hated me anyway? Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose I've been on both edges of that spectrum. But I, I think the way I see it working or the way that I see the England stuff working, I think is because of the volume of cricket that's played, I think the roles will be split, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think Paul Collingwood almost this would be like a job audition for him to take the white ball side potentially and then the overseas reset I suppose if you want to call it that um, would be from um, from in the test match team so I, yeah I do certainly think that there'll there'll be a degree of difference when we look at the coaching structure when it comes to when it comes to the summer what exactly that will look like I don't know but yeah certainly there it's, it's hard to judge a dressing room, I suppose, because dressing rooms go through different phases. Sometimes if it's run by very big senior players um, who lead the way both on and off the pitch, it's easier to have a more laid back style coach like, like maybe a Chris Silverwood because the team runs itself and you would be afforded that luxury in the white ball team because because it's run by very strong characters. Owen Morgan, Joss Butler, Moen Ali, everyone there is very assured and, and understands their role within that team and within the dynamics. So it makes a coach's job very easy, but it certainly seems as though England are still looking for that identity in Test Match Cricket and still trying to find the team that they want to be. And I think that that is something that's going to have to be led by a coach who is quite of quite a strong opinion about the direction that he wants to take that team in. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see who the ECB do opt for and who takes that test side forward. Now, a couple of names keep popping up. Gary Kirsten's been linked with it for a few months. And a name that kind of sprung out of nowhere within the last week or so is Justin Langer, the now ex-Australia head coach. And I'm very excited to say that the lovely Mr. Adam Collins has joined us, the all-round good egg that is Mr. Adam Collins. How are you, Colo? I'm very well. What a lovely, uh, welcoming uh, podcast to join. Uh, I, I do quite a few of these and sometimes I get on and I know I'm going to um, take about 30 questions about working with Harsha Bogle, which is lovely. Um, uh, that's one style of cricket podcast, but um, I've enjoyed listening to you guys over the last year or so and I'm looking forward to a chat. Yeah, well, if it was uh, if it was your partner in crime, Jeff Lemon, he wouldn't have got as nice an introduction. But for you, Colo, <laughs> I'm willing to pay you some compliments. Uh, I've got to ask you straight away, about Justin Langer being linked with the England job, which would be, I don't know, it's a bizarre appointment in a way, but then he has got previous of picking a test team up from rock bottom and, and turning them around. Um, first and foremost, 
looking back at his tenure as Aussie head coach, what is this sort of Aussie feeling towards him, the public perception of him? Because I find it really hard to gauge, to be honest. I feel like he's a very divisive personality and character, uh, not just within cricket, but especially Australian cricket. Yeah, I reckon had we had this conversation six months ago, it would have been quite divisive. But now, um, if anything, uh, public opinions running with Langer more than ever before on the basis of what they were able to achieve against England and the unexpected T20 World Cup win. So, I mean, it's a very complicated story with a lot of different twists and turns, but um, the easiest way of explaining it is that about a year ago after the India Test Series loss, which was against all expectations, remember that they bowled out India for 36 at Adelaide in the first test. Coley went home. Uh, the, the working logic was that Australia would romp in to a 4-0 or a 3-1 maybe victory there and went the other way. They lose at the Gabbatoire and, and all hell breaks loose. But the thing was they had no cricket to play. So um, I suppose the fact that there wasn't much going on led to the speculation about the dressing room's dissatisfaction with Langer or at least some quarters of it. And the reason we know that is they kept leaking. Uh, we kept uh, reading in the newspaper what the players were anonymously saying around Langer. Uh, there was a, a summit of sorts in the Gold Coast last year before they they set off for the Windies and Bangladesh for their white ball tours and a bit of breaking of bread and all the rest of it around how Langer would need to coach going forward with that particular group of players. Um, there was more consternation after that, more stories coming out of the dressing room and they got pumped in Bangladesh 4-1 from memory and didn't do well in the West Indies either. So, so then uh, there was a sense, I think, that, well, his contract will expire after the home summer, not long after that, and he'll simply make way and he'll be given you know, a nice handshake and a thank you for a job relatively well done in the context of where Australian cricket was seen to be after sandpaper. But he and Tim Payne would yeah, maybe be swinging arms and walking off into the sunset together, retiring together maybe after the Ashes. But, of course, we know that Payne didn't get the, uh, the grandstand finish. He, he left in in glorious circumstances, to say the least. And now Langer, because he wanted to hold on, and that's an important part of the story, um, and had that success and all that support from uh, the former greats that that surround the Australian team from that glory generation. Uh, it's a very different conversation now, and he's effectively been sacked. I mean, he resigned, but um, the catalyst for him resigning was being given an offer to extend his contract by about four or five months. And, and that was enough for him to say, I won't be doing that. Um, you can move on without me. It's it's a bizarre ending. I mean, <laughs> Australia beat England 4-0 and both coaches kind of get sacked. It's, it's, it's such yeah. a strange ending to, to what's been a strange couple of years for English and Australian cricket. You just get the impression that, you know, Langer is a bit, and I hate using this phrase, but he's a bit old school. And he sort of referred to it in his statement as well. He said, if media reports are correct, several senior players and a couple of support staff don't support me moving forward. He looks a bit old school. He's tough. He's a proper, you know, he's a tough old Aussie. Finney, how much have you seen the game change? We've seen it a lot more in, you know, multi-million pound sports like football over the last 20 years where it's harder and harder for your, for your Brian Clough characters in football who, you know, shouting at players and having a go at them all the time and being strict has been kind of replaced by a Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola hugging their players and smiling all the time and pampering them. Um, there's so much more money involved in cricket now, especially with these guys with the chances to go around the world and join all these franchises. Have you seen a change in the way that coaches have to handle players in this day and age? Are, are you a bit softer nowadays, you lot? Well, first of all, you're the same age as me or only a year <laughs> older than me. So, so you can shut the fuck up, even though you've got way <laughs> less hair and you look a lot older. Um, 
you're of the same generation as me, mate. So I'll take um, that as a so yes. You guys off. can't take any criticism. Yeah, yeah fuck it, hell. <laughs> <laughs> but you have seen the dynamic of the dressing room shift considerably over the course of the last 15 years. When I first started playing county cricket, your recovery and preparation for the next day was minimum of four pints in the bar at the hotel of the evening um, and the curry. And now if you were to have four pints stretched over four days um, during a four day game, it might be frowned upon. So um, yeah, there's certainly a very different um, set of opinions, but then you look at the coaches that are around and, and a lot of those guys played in an era where cricket was played hard. You had to fight and scrap to get everything that you got to be able to make a name for yourself. And I think that it's interesting and, and it, you've almost got this clash of cultures now between a fair few coaches who are of that era and decide that, or, or think that that is the way to go about winning games of cricket. And there's certainly some merit to it, most definitely. I think you can't um, pander to people the entire time, but there are certainly a lot of human skills or a lot more human skills that come with managing the personalities within a dressing room. Um, and I think that there are a number of factors about why that's an important thing now. I'm slightly interested in the idea that Langer might be up for England on the basis of a couple of things that Finney's been saying there, but also, you know, Colo was expressing there how the players themselves perhaps weren't seeing eye to eye with the way Justin Langer was coaching. Now, the England players, the Australian players got on pretty well. It's inconceivable to believe that the Aussie players haven't described their experiences of working under Langer. Is that going to be Colo, do you think? I mean, that, that information will be well known amongst all the players. If Langer then suddenly pitches up as coach of England, isn't he going to come in to a bunch of players who've got certain preconceptions about what he's like and not all of them positive? Yeah, it's a great point. And I don't think that's been um, circulated widely enough. As Finney knows, the cricket world's never been smaller. Uh, based around the, the 2020 competitions that are played and just the, the evolution of technology, it means that information sharing is a big part of the modern game. Uh, and I think that will be part of it. But the question fundamentally is, do England require a, require a coach like Langer to do their patch-up job? Now, they know what they're getting. That's the point here. It, it's not as though um, they'll be hiring him sight unseen. They will know that he will be um, the same Justin Langer that he's kind of always been. And I think that did, to an extent, serve its role in Australian cricket at that particular juncture. But the crucial point here is that um, I mentioned the Tim Payne and Justin Langer axis, that era has kind of come to an end. We don't use sandpaper as the reference point for everything anymore. It was that way for the first couple of years. Everything that happened in the Australian dressing room between March 2018 for a couple of years was, was in relation to sandpaper, whether they liked it or not. Now, four years on, they're, they're looking ahead and thinking about being, um, well, qualifying for the World Test Championship final, for example. They're well-placed to do that. Um, competing in the 50-over World Cup in 18 months' time, defending their 20-over crown, winning overseas in England. Remember, they, they, they retained the Ashes in England in 2019, but they haven't won here since 2001. That's all on the future agenda. They're not talking about sandpaper in that context. And I think it's reasonable to say that Pat Cummins, Aaron Finch, but especially Pat Cummins taking over the test team sees this as an opportunity um, to scale a new mountain with a new voice alongside him. And he will have a strong input on who that is. 
and, and that is the catalyst for this. It's about what's coming up more than what's just happened. If they wanted a coach like Langer four years ago um, to set Australia straight uh, after falling into disrepute reputationally, well, that, that works for the most part. Not perfectly, but for the most part. Um, now, I think the personalities in that dressing room temperamentally are better suited to a coach who might be a bit more hands-off, who might be a bit more Trevor Bayless-esque in uh, providing them with the freedom to play the way they want to play. Um, and whether there is a direct sort of wife swap sort of thing with uh, Bayless and, and, and Langer, look, I doubt that'll happen, but I suppose it's not outside the realms of possibility either. But Colo, I'm fascinated by the, the elder statesmen that we've been hearing so much about, you know, the mm. mates of Langer. They're kind of like the sort of philosopher class in Planet of the Apes, you know, <laughs> and they kind of like look down with their cynical wisdom on the youth as if they're all idiots. And if Langer's, well, Langer is dumbed and someone's brought in, the first sign of anything going wrong in a test match, they're going to be piling in, aren't they, on yeah. Seven and on Fox because they are all over the coverage. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I mean, it's not an easy it's not an easy job to take now. The Australian job, uh, owing to the way that uh, Langer's tenures concluded, um, that's a good observation. More broadly, around that that former player class that you referred to, really interesting comment from Jimmy last week that he's never really had to play with that burden. It's not as though the generation that came before Jimmy uh, were, were dominating. Far from it. I mean, that was the '90s. That was the era when England hit rock bottom at Test level. So it's the exact opposite for this group of players who always uh, are in the shadow of those that came before them. And look, you can disregard some of the comments because, uh, you know, um, I think more broadly, you can, you can usually ignore Warren and ignore Hayden, but those who are, as in, like, that's just, they, they, are, they are working to the next um, media cycle in Warren's case and in Hayden's case, he's defending his best mate. Um, would I be rational, Daniel, if I was defending you? Probably not. You know, there are some people who you are so close to in life that you can't be objective around it. Others, though, like Ricky Ponting, also close with Langer, but um, but a, a bit more removed in terms of what his day job is. And Adam Gilchrist is another who speaks with great authority. They are fucking pissed off, but I think they both understand how this has happened. I don't think they are. It's not scorched earth the way that it was with Mitchell Johnson in the paper a couple of days ago. I think in the fullness of time, you'll see um, Gilchrist and, and Ponting able to be constructive around this once they've got over the fact that one of their great mates has been... Um, Left, has left the job in, in, in these kind of circumstances, a story that's probably the biggest story in Australian cricket since Sandpaper, weirdly. Certainly the, the ferocity of the response on Saturday felt that way. So, yeah, there's a lot of former players, a lot of fantastic servants to Australian cricket who are furious, but it's worth remembering it's not their dressing room. And cricket is fundamentally a game that uh, where well, a sport which is driven by the players in the room and steered by the captain. It's not like football in that respect. It's not steered by the manager uh, in much the same way that the football codes are. So they want someone to complement what they're doing, uh, not someone to necessarily have complete oversight on every every last utterance and every last bit of it. So I suppose a more traditional coach would be one uh, in the mould that l lets the players have just a little bit more latitude. And that's clearly what they want here. Uh, and maybe someone they've worked with before. I mentioned Bayless. He was the, the New South Wales coach when a lot of these guys were at their formative stage uh, playing for New South Wales. Or Andrew McDonald, who's been an assistant coach, is in very high regard in, in recent years. They'll probably split the role uh, and, and go from there. But, um, but yeah, you're right, um, Daniel, that whatever happens, uh, they are going to be marked on a very tough curve on account of what's happened to Langer. I'm also Whatever. discovered from this conversation, by the way, that all the nice things that Colo says about me are basically coerced from him on the basis that we get on. 
Well, I mean, <laughs> which I mean, is a great disappointment. <laughs> I just, I quickly just want to say that you know, whatever happens uh, from here on out, Justin Langer does leave with his head held high with a 2020 victory and a Ashes victory as well, and retaining the Ashes in England. But I want to come back to that point there. Uh, Stephen Finn, Colo said that he would never really be able to criticise Daniel Norcross because he works so closely with him. You've been doing this podcast for, well, just about a year now with Dan Norcross. So presumably you've got his back. <laughs> if anyone ever criticised Dan Norcross, you'd step in and say, hey, no, that's my mate. No, I'm happy to pile in over the top and um, deliver the hammer blow that finishes it all off, to be quite frank. <laughs> this is what you can get away with when you're a former professional or a former international. Finney. You can say things like that, whereas I have to work in a far more collegiate. The collegiality of, of what we do is a little bit different. It's OK. We just put him back in his summarizers box every now and then. <laughs> Basically, Norcross, next time you're in court, which, let's be honest, will be, you know, sometime soon for some horrible, <laughs> horrible crime. Uh, I would go for Colo for a character witness before I go to Stephen Finn would be my advice. <laughs> would be my advice. Well, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd coerce everyone into believing that I was going to say something nice and then fucking nail him. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. This is Finney unplugged proper here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, 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 oh, you get the real me here. Yeah, Finney was such a lovely, you know, always playing with a smile on his face, but something about Norcross and me really bring out the worst in him. He really... He really, he really turns whenever we press record. Well, he's, a, he's, a, he's, he's like a classic cat killer, isn't he? You know, he, he mm. takes nice, fluffy people like me. You know, you and me. Mm. And, you know, I've actually I'm got... fucking adorable. You I wouldn't are, call you either of you nice. You are fucking adorable. And I'm actually, you know, struggling with a life-threatening virus here. Yeah. And this is what I get. I mean, it's going to be the very Mate, last... I've seen you I spark think. up about 25 cigarettes over the course of the last half an hour. Yeah. I think you might be all right. Have well, you, um, have you got, uh, hang you got COVID, minute, Daniel? Hang on a minute. Have you, if you, yeah, if yes. you look at Joe Rogan, if you listen to Joe Rogan's podcast, you will discover <laughs> that the COVID virus cannot attach itself to your lungs if there's enough tar in there because the spike protein isn't long enough to. <laughs> well, this is um, it's, the it's, layer. It's, it's funny, you, funny you raised that, Norky. And by the way, you didn't tell me you had COVID. That seems like the sort of thing you should have shared with me. I hope you get well soon. I hope you don't give it to Kevin. Well, doesn't actually I, like you, Quello. I did, I did try to be. tell you yesterday, but you were taking Winnie to nursery. Oh, right. Okay. That, that's fair. I did cut you off quite quickly then. Um, there was a story doing the rounds. Well, not doing the rounds. It was um, out of the horse's mouth when, when Warney had COVID last year when coaching the, um, the London Spirit. Uh, yeah. he, he declared on back on Australian radio that the way he um, tried to fight the virus in isolation was to smoke 100 cigarettes a day to try and kill it that way. So Yeah, um, I'm with him. I'd, I'd, I'd like to interrupt I've got here. Some, um, I've got some bleach that you can um, drink as well, Dan, uh, if you want. Don't worry, Finney. I've got a brandy. I've got my Christmas brandy, which only got opened the moment COVID happened. It feels like it could kill anything. So, you know. I'd, I'd like to step in at this point and point out to Spotify, if you are listening, uh, this is misinformation because if we get removed from the platform, at least Joe Rogan goes with $100 million in his pocket. We don't have that luxury, all right? I don't want to turn on Twitter tomorrow and see we've been cancelled with Jimmy Carr and Joe Rogan this week. At least they left with millions of fucking pounds in the bank, all right? Now, very quickly before we say goodbye for another week, but Colo, whilst we get you here, mm. I'm not going to dwell on the women's ashes. All right, we get it. Australia are better than England at cricket, all right? It's fucking hell. Get over yeah. yourselves. But I do need to talk about the fact that um, the Australian cricket team heaven forbid, are actually going to play a game of cricket. Norcross, you're very vocal about the fact that Australians are, are huge pussies and trying to avoid playing cricket at all, at all costs. But they're actually going to go to Pakistan and they've named a proper team and everything. 
Yeah, it's happening. Uh, I'm going. I think I'm leaving in a, in a couple of weeks from now or three weeks from now, something like that. So it's, it's exciting on a, on a personal level because I didn't think we'd actually ever get there. When England and New Zealand pulled out last September, uh, I was like, well, that's, that's it in terms of Australia going. That'll be the fig leaf they require um, to pull out. And they've been pretty bad global citizens on that front. Well, for a very long time, let's be honest. But um, I think maybe counterintuitively, because they've been so poorly behaved through COVID when it comes to touring, they, they feel as though they need to make this tour. There's no security reason not to go. They're not going to have sort of a Reg Dickinson, Reg Dickinson style character say it's not fit to go because um, he's not providing that kind of advice at the moment, uh, according to reports. He is, and others in his field of work are saying it's fine to go. So um, they kind of have to go. Uh, and, and so they will. Raul Pindi, then uh, Karachi, then Lahore. Uh, three test matches, then I think three one-dayers and a T20. Um, it'll be the first time Australia have visited Pakistan for test cricket since 1998, which is what? when Mark Taylor made his unbeaten 334, probably before um, uh, Toby and, and Finney were born. Uh, but um, uh, believe me, it was magnificent. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's kind of special. And, and there's, there's extra layer to this is that Usman Khawaja, of course, was, was born in Pakistan, and came out to Australia as a, a young tot. So it's a bit of a, a return home for him there. He's been back for the PSL, but this, this will be pretty special. And a group of Australian cricketers get to have that, that experience that so many uh, over the last 20, however many years, haven't had. So, yeah, quite cool. Uh, and I'm surprised, but pleasantly surprised, that they have confirmed this week it's definitely going ahead. Uh, Daniel Norcross, are you going to apologise to Adam Collins and all Australians after you constantly called them soft cocks and say that Australians hate playing cricket and they're pussies and they're wimps and they chicken out of every tour? No, not at all. They've had three jabs, haven't they, by now? And they fight, you know, they waited for the pandemic mostly to be over. They waited for me to get it. And, you know, I'm, I'm among the last. And then finally, they're prepared to poke their little heads above the parapet. No, they've spent two, two years of the pandemic staying at home. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're in Melbourne, you probably had a pretty tough time because they had the longest lockdown of the lot. But any Western Australian has been gadding around you know, lobster fishing and hanging out in nightclubs during the pandemic. I think they're. Uh, I think. Uh, I think the, the charge of being utterly pathetic still stands. Uh, but you know, uh, obviously, I say that with slight wariness because England have got to go to Pakistan yet, and I'm terrified that they're going to back out. Of the tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think. I think it's. I think my my genuine sense is that everyone's going to go now. That that was an acutely. There was an acute problem last year around New Zealand. It only related to them. That was a direct threat about the New Zealand team. England really pulled out because they couldn't be fucked going. It was four days in the middle of the IPL and the white ball specialists, remember it was only a T20 tour and the white ball specialists were all in Dubai playing in the IPL. Why would they want to, why did they want to leave their franchises in the lead up to a world cup? It's just a lot of faffing around for not much yield. So I think that's why last year happened. I reckon we're pretty much good to go. And in terms of Australia and COVID, as Finney can attest, the national panic attack that's been had for the last two and a half months since Omicron arrived. Um, uh, I think the players will be happy to get out of there and be happy to not be where um, people are still. And I'm not saying it's not warranted. It's just the lived experience hasn't been to have much COVID in the community. So um, the fact that they'll get out of there with their three jabs um, to an extent uh, will be a relief. I reckon to play some cricket through the autumn. Finney, um, I'll let you have the uh, final word. Just very quickly, are you sure you don't want to apologise to our one listener, Jack, about the toast stuff? Uh, yeah, I'm positive because they're not the um, they're not the same. Putting it in a toaster and getting it wrong is very different to forgetting about it under the grill. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's because your, your, your ADHD is so strong that you can't actually hang around for a piece of toast under a grill. I mean, how, how long? What is that? I'm a, a modern. I'm a modern day cricketer, Dan. What do you expect? <laughs> and, and he's a fast bowler. He's he can't construct. Bowler. He can't construct an innings long enough yeah. to, to actually keep an eye on toast. Yeah, I mean, that is can't that, construct that's... a sentence, let alone an innings. <laughs> if he was going to construct an innings, he'd do so with a beautiful Woodstock cricket bat. Yes, he 20, would. Twenty percent off TFW twenty. TFW twenty is your code. What wonderful cricket bats they are! Don't everybody on this podcast agree? Good thinking, Collar. We need to plug those things more. Well, thank you very much, chaps. Uh, we will actually reflect on the women's ashes and look forward to the women's World Cup next week. I just don't want to talk about it in front of Collo and give him the satisfaction. And also, if the name Adam Collins is new to you, well, where the hell have you been? Colo, where can our uh, where can our one listener find you if they want to? <laughs> well, they can listen to our uh, our final word special on Justin Langer that comes out in a couple of hours. So um, that's in all the usual podcast places, the Final Word Cricket Podcast, and uh, I'm on Twitter at Collins Adam. But I don't really want you to go to Twitter; it's a fucking hellfire. But the podcast <laughs> is usually pretty good. You've all been on it. You all know. Yeah, exactly. Colin, mate, always good to see you. Hopefully see you in the flesh soon. But thank you very much for joining us, mate, and talking all things Australia. Norcross and Finney, see your kids next week. Finney, I know you want to go watch the uh, the Watford game. So uh, best of luck and uh, chap, see you soon. Well, I hope I hope you'll see me next week. But, you know, we'll see how, how the sickness develops. Colo, um, if Norcross does kick the bucket... Um, how do you feel about doing two podcasts? I'm very happy to do that. But what I will say is I hope, Daniel, that you're fit to come to Winnie's birthday party on Sunday still. We'll sneak you in. <laughs> Thank you, darling. <laughs> All the best, chaps. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. See it, mate. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.